Okay, now let's look this morning at the 10 spies. You got your Bible this morning, Numbers chapter 13. This is a familiar story. We're going through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We're doing an overview of these first five books. There's certain 31 lessons that we're actually looking at. This is lesson 16 or 17, if I remember correctly. And then, uh, so this is the 12 spies, two chapters, Numbers 13 and 14. Again, this familiar story. I just want to kind of walk through the story with you and then give some application for it um, this morning. All right, let's pray together. Father, I'm going to ask for your help this morning and Father, the words to say, Lord, I hope that they're praying in their heart even now. Father, Lord, this familiar story that we would again apply to our own lives and be the Christian you want us to be. And uh, Lord, these Old Testament pictures, what a shadow, what an example for us to learn from. And Lord, may we again grab something this morning that would be helpful to us, maybe to others. Uh, that we could share with others. Thank you again for your word. Uh, Father, may your, will, your word do its work in our life according to your will. And again, bless all the teachers teaching in the various classes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Numbers chapter 13, look at verse number one. The Bible says this, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Verse 3, And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Now, they're mentioned by name, verses number 4, I think down to verse number 16. Verse number 17, it picks up. It says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up up into the mountain. I, don't, I can read it. I don't need to because I got more, more scripture than normal. This one I want to read. But look at the first phrase, verse number 18. What was the purpose of them going into the promised land, sending these 12 spies? First phrase, verse 18, and see the land. Verse, first phrase, verse 19, and what the land is. Verse number 20, and what the land is. Now, church family, when those spies came back, now I'm not talking to novices this morning, you know that when they came back, the only thing they could think about was the giants in the land. That's not why the spies, was their original intent. We noticed in verses 1, 2, and 3 there, these were not just average Israelites. These were the heads. These were the leadership that were going in. And you'd think that when they would have gone in, they would have kept their purpose straight. Their purpose was not to see who was there. Their purpose was to see what the land was like. All right? They didn't do that. Now let's pick it up again. I think it's verse 21. Here's what he says next. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin and Rehob as men come to Hamath, and they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron. All right. Verse number 23, and they came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. Again, going back to uh, what God had already told them before they left Egypt. I have a land that floweth with milk and honey. This is an exceptional land. All righty. And so they, they brought back this big cluster of grapes. Verse number 26, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. Now I just want to tell you that's where they should have stopped. Amen. You know what happens sometimes is sometimes we as Christians we put our opinions in instead of just trusting the Lord. This is what the Lord has for us. We don't have to worry about the people of the land. But instead of stopping the very next word or the first word of the next verse is nevertheless. Verse number 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. 
uh, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Now, church family, have you ever seen land that eats people? This, this is how ridiculous this is, okay? It wasn't the land that was going to eat up the people. They were concerned about the people. The land is what they were concerned about. Look what they say in the rest of the verse there. He says, And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there, were, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which, some of the, uh, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we, were we in their sight. Now, you know, what the problem was is they were looking through the God's eyes. They were looking for their own eyes, all right? We as God's people, we do the same thing. We have a tendency to look through human eyes instead of looking to see what God wants for our life, all right? Now, I want to just go over the applications for this morning. We understand from chapter number 14 what happens. Again, I could read the entire chapter with you, and I'm sure I'll read parts of it. But God's not happy with them, all right? He's not happy with them because God, they saw the miracles of the ten plagues. They saw the Red Sea parting. They saw the miracle of manna falling down from heaven. They saw the water from the rock. They saw all of these great things happen, but when they got to the Canaan land, oh, can't go in. They, they, and, and really, God had already showed them they could go in, all right? Now, on the 12 spies, let me again say a couple more things about chapter 14, then we'll look at application for, for us as Christians this morning. But in chapter number 14, it's interesting. It picks up in verse number one. Let me pick up in verse one. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses. All right, look down. Verse number 11, look what God's response is. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, and I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and will make, them a great will make of thee a greater nation and a mightier than they. Now, here's what God says. I'm done with them. Okay, that's fine. They want to do their own thing. And then Moses pleads for them. In verse, I won't read it, but verses 13 down to verse number 19, he basically says, God, please pardon them. You're long-suffering. You're merciful. Would you please pardon them? God picks it up again in verse number 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. All right. In verse 22, he says, You've, these guys have tempted me 10 times. In verse number 27, they're not murmuring against you. They're murmuring against me. Uh, verse number 29, look what he says. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of, of Nun. Verse 31, but your little ones which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in and they shall know uh, the land which ye have despised but as for you your carcasses they shall fall in the wilderness verse 34 after the number of the days in which ye search the land even 40 days each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities even 40 years all right now church i'm going to stop right there this morning again hopefully you know the story if not i encourage you to read chapter 13 and 14 but we understand from the story that God wanted the children of Israel to go into the land of Canaan. And they did not go into the land of Canaan. They sent spies in. These spies come back and they discourage the people. And all of a sudden, they decide we can't go in. God says, that's fine. That means you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay. Now, this morning, there are, all these things should be in your lesson. But I want to kind of just look at the parallels for us as Christians. Okay. Now, church family, the first parallel is this. And you've heard me mention this probably many a time. Is that there's a difference between God's permissive will and his perfect will. All right. In other words, this is what God wants. This is what God allows. This is what God uh, is, is, is wants for our lives, but this is what we want for our lives. And God said, okay, I'm going to let you go ahead and do that. Now, when you look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and if that's all you read, you would say to yourself, well, God's the one that told him to go in and spy the land out. All right. 
But God tells us the rest of the story in Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number one with me for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter number one. Deuteronomy means second law. Moses is going over what took place earlier here in Deuteronomy chapter one. And I want you to notice what it says in verse number 21. All right, Deuteronomy one, verse number 21. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Um, Let me me back up if you don't mind. Verse 19. And when we departed from Horeb, uh, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which we saw by the way, the mountain of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. Now Kadesh Barnea is is where they are at on the border of, of the promised land about to go in. Verse 20. And I said unto you, Moses speaking to the children of Israel. And I said unto you, ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Now listen, this is what Moses said. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Verse 22. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, what did they say? What's the phrase there? We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me, me being Moses, and the saying pleased me well, and I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and you can read again Deuteronomy chapter 1, but do you understand that God's not the one that said get 12 spies together and go see what the land looks like? You know what God said? God said go in and possess. So they had the promise of God that if they would go in, this is the land that I promised you that they could have it. But instead of doing what God said, you know what they decided? Hey, listen, we would rather send men on in. We'd like to see what the land looks like before we go in. God didn't tell them to do that. Did God allow them to do that? Yes, he did. Did God want them to do that? No, he did not. Just remember, you know, us as Christians, we do the same thing. The difference between God's perfect will and, and, and his permissive will. There's things that God allow us. You know, I, Paul said it in the book of Corinthians. He said, um, <clears throat> All things are lawful. I'm sorry for not giving you the reference. It says it twice in the book of Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. The parallel verse to that says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So twice in the book of Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear that, yes, there are things I can do. It's lawful for me to do, but they're not expedient. All right. Well, what does he mean by ex- expedient? It's not profitable. So does God allow us to do things in our life? Yes, he allows us to do things in our life. But church family, your prayer, my prayer, should not be, can I do this? My prayer should be, do you want me to do this? You know, if you have children, you understand this principle that God's trying to teach when it comes to a parent and a child, like our Heavenly Father and to us. I would much rather my children say, what do you want, than for them to say, I want. Listen, I don't know how you are as a parent, but I want to tell you something. When my children let me decide, it's better for them. It's better for them. I've told you the story before about the college. Every year in college, I always teach the principle that you never order anything more expensive than your host. All right? Now, I know this to you, this is very elementary, but sometimes to college students, it's not very elementary. All right? They're not in here, so I can talk about them. And, I, and I, we've had the college, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I guess. But So... Uh, invariably I will take the college students out and I'll have a crowd of them and we'll go to a restaurant and all of a sudden I'll have one or two, especially if they haven't been with me very long, and they'll order whatever they want. I've, gone, I've taken the college out before and everybody else is ordering a soda and I'll have one dingling order a shake. Okay. Okay, I don't like that kind of stuff to be honest with you, but I don't say anything when it happens. I, I wait till we sit down so I can really humiliate them. Alrighty? I went to a place one time, this was years ago, I went to a place and it was just, I think it was only four or five guys that I had with me, they were all college students. And everybody ordered a hamburger except this one guy, he ordered a steak. College student ordered a steak. 
at the restaurant that I was particular at. And I didn't say anything until I sat down, but I was boiling by the time I sat down, okay? So now every year before the year starts, there's no sense me getting upset and, me, and them being upset after I'm upset with them. I just tell them right up front, you never order more than the host. This is called proper, all righty? So if your host spends $10 on his meal, you better not spend 11, all right? Are you okay with me this morning? Y'all looking at me like I'm wrong or stupid or does something this morning. Come on now, stay with me this morning. So can I just tell you that when I, and by the way, I have college students that over years, they figure this out really, really quick. And you know how I know that? Because we'll go to a restaurant and invariably it's one of two, two questions. The first one is this, pastor, what are you ordering? Before we ever order anything, pastor, what are you ordering? Okay, I know why they're asking that because they wanna know, am I gonna order more than what the pastor does or the person who's paying for my meal? That is appropriate, okay? Sometimes I think our children don't know this, okay? Anyway, God bless you. But anyway, <laughs> so, I, I'm gonna tell you, sometimes we miss on these little things of life because our kids don't go with anybody else, all righty? You know, our kids, it's healthy for them to be with other people so that they can make mistakes so that we can help them up, all righty? And we can humiliate them, amen? All righty? Well, the second type of person is not the person who asked me, Pastor, what are you ordering? The second type of person says this, Pastor, will you order for me? Now, it's never a girl, it's always a guy, all right? The girls don't order much, especially in the last several years. The girls eat like mice, it's really unbelievable. So, which I like taking them out because I don't spend very much money, but anyway. But I have some fellas that have learned over the years, I'm gonna get twice as much to eat if pastor orders for me. They know it. You know why? Because I'm not gonna let them go hungry. But sometimes a college student thinks, well, I'm gonna go hungry, so I have to order for myself. And you know, we do that to God all the time. I think God's gonna let me starve. Really? You really think that? You're crazy. He owns the cattle on every hill, the wealth in every mind. He is more than capable of taking care of you. So what you need to do is say, God, I want your perfect will for my life, not your permissive will for my life. I want what you want for me, not what I think I want for me, all right? Children of Israel, they messed up. And I'm gonna tell you where it started. It didn't start by them saying, oh, there's giants in the land. I'm gonna tell you where it started. It started by them sending spies in because they, what they doing what they wanted to do instead of doing what God wanted to do. What did God want? Go in and possess. What did they want? We wanna see what the land looks like, dumb. Shouldn't want to see what, they could have saved themselves 40 years. They just don't want God wanted for their life. Hey, church family, can I tell you something? You're going to save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of problem if you'd stop trying to figure out what you think is going to make you happy. And you just decide God knows what's, what's best for me. Amen. All right? God's permissive will. So the first lesson I see here is God's permissive will and God's perfect will. Something else here, next thing I want you to think about is this. Look at chapter, I don't think I'm going to take you to all these passages. Uh, let's see here. Look, start in chapter 13. All right, number 13, are you there? Look at verse number 26. Uh, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation, verse 27, and they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth milk and honey. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong and dwell in the land. Um, again, it talks about their evil report. I want you to look at, church, I mean, flip over to one more if you don't mind. Let's see here. I'm not gonna look at all these. I do want you to look at one more. Look at Deuteron uh, Numbers 32, excuse me, I'm sorry. De numbers 32, look at verse number six with me. Numbers 32, verse number six. Another recount of this story. Moses is talking to, to uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he's relaying this story. But look at Numbers 32, verse number 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers, now he's recounting the story, when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, 
For when they, were, for the, when they went up uh, unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to read all the story, but that's the phrase I really want you to see this morning. Can I, can I tell you, we've got to be careful. Now, I'm just talking about principles this morning we can learn from the lesson. lesson. First principle, you're either going to have God's permissive will or God's perfect will. Second principle, never discourage somebody from doing the will of God. Never discourage somebody from doing the will of God. You know, the children of Israel, it was the will of God for them to go in and possess the land. And those 12 spies come back and 10 of them says, can't do it. There's giants in the land. We're all going to die. We're, we were in their sight like grasshoppers. Now, you know what they did? They caused the heart of the people to melt. And now they're murmuring against Moses. Why would you bring us all the way to this land and we can't go in? You know what they did? They discouraged people. They discouraged God's people from doing the will of God. Now, I don't know... I don't know what, who your influence is, but can I tell you something? when it comes to our children, we can't discourage them from doing the will of God. You know what I have experienced or seen before? I have seen children that are in a church service or a camp, Bible camp or a conference, and they come back all fired up and they want to change their life, and then parents throw water on their fire. Yeah. Well, that's nice. And you know what? You act like it was just an experience, and you know the experience will pass. Those kind of experiences you don't want to pass. You want them to get up and read their Bible. You want them to go soul winning. You want them to get something from the church services. You want them to sit close to the front. You want them to take notes. And you know, when a parent belittles a child, you know why I find, I, I think uh, parents do that? I think sometimes parents are embarrassed about their own spirituality and they don't want their child being more than what they are. Can I be the first one to say, I hope my children are more than what I am? Amen. Can I also say, I don't want my children to do the bad things that I've done? Amen. Okay, so with that said, I don't want to discourage it. You know, sometimes we, we as parents, we, we don't encourage what really ought to be encouraged. Hey, Church Man, I like sports and everything, but can I tell you something? Sports is not what's going to trans, sports is not what God's really going to use in my child's life to influence a bunch of people. And I, I won't go the sports route on why I think sports are important to a degree. But can I tell you, the most important thing is their spirituality, not their sports. Amen. They might be able to throw a, a ball through a hoop now, but they're going to get old. That's not going to last forever. Yep, probably fat too, but anyway. Uh, can, can I just tell you that what we need to be encouraging of our children is, this afternoon you go home, you're going to eat lunch with your family. You know what the first question you ought to have, one of the first questions? What did your Sunday school teach you, teach you today? Because that gives you an opportunity to talk about spiritual things with your children. What did pastor preach on today? It gives you an opportunity. Those spiritual things are healthy for your children to talk about. You know what we want to talk about? You know, how they did in a ball game, you know? I'm all for education. I'm all for school and everything. But can I tell you what's more important than your child's education? Their spirituality. Amen. What is going to last forever? Two plus two? Or their spirituality as far as what God's going to do with them during the millennial reign of Christ as well as forever with him? I'm just telling you that we're, sometimes we focus on the, the wrong thing. And I know it takes a balance in our children's life. We want them to be well socially and spiritually and physically and mentally. But can I tell you the top one? Spiritually. So we don't want to ever discourage what God's doing in their life. Amen. You know why less people are going to the mission field? I think one of the reasons is because we discourage it. We discourage it. Yeah. And those are the things we ought to be encouraging. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, everybody can't, couldn't come, but I, I'm going to guess there was 25, 30 men. I, I was counting the guys in the pictures because I took pictures yesterday, uh, a couple pictures. But uh, yesterday, 
to be honest, one of the questions was the fellows asked me, do you know what, which building we should buy? And I think there's another one like that. And the only reason I, no, I don't. And I still don't. I mean, not really, completely. But, but yesterday, that question I could answer very clearly. I really felt like the men needed to see the building. And then the men that couldn't go, I'm putting pictures together so you can see, so you can kind of know what's going on. But I feel like that the Lord's going to lead the church um, as far as the building for the new church plant, et cetera. But, you know, it was encouraging yesterday because the, gal, the guys were standing there in one, of the, in one of the buildings and they started talking. And they were talking about the excitement of uh, putting a church here and a church that will lead many people to Christ and the excitement of, uh, and they were talking about the church plant. You know what? The things that they said, death and life are in the power of, talk to me now, death and life are in the power of the tongue, all right? You know, you can either be discouraging or encouraging, okay? You know, can I tell you something? The church plant is not pastor's pet. You know what it is? It's Heritage Baptist Church planting a church. So guess who should be a part of that? Every member of the Heritage Baptist Church ought to be a part of that. Part of it in prayer. Part of it in passing out flyers. Part of it in giving. uh, You ought to be a part of that as far as starting that church over there in Topeka, Kansas. And so yesterday, I came home very encouraged. You know why? Because somebody didn't say, I don't think I like these buildings. Too much money, shouldn't spend it. I was uh, yesterday before the, um, the Lord worked it out so I could, but yesterday um, um, before the meeting at one o'clock, I decided to go ahead and try to knock some doors. I was, I was actually by myself, I had to split up and so I was by myself, but I went ahead and um, knocked an apartment complex. It was like, oh, two blocks away from that particular. This old guy answers the door. Right, now I couldn't, he, I'm not talking, you ever get, have a, a picture in your mind of what Methuselah might've looked like? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not teasing, okay? I mean, that sounds funny. But, you know, just straight, long gray hair down to his sh- shoulders and this long gray beard, you know, come out of there and, you know, kind of bald, a little bit forehead bald and his eyes kind of sunken back a little bit and he, and he has a cane. That's how I think of Malthusala. Well, he answered the door yesterday. And so uh, when he answered the door, <laughs> I know this is not the proper way of going soul winning, I just said, hey, my name's Pastor Hanks. I pastor in, in Lawrence, and uh, we're thinking about starting a church in your area, and I'd just like for you to tell me what, what it's like in this area. That's how I started with a guy, and so, so he told me how many people were killed and all kinds of stuff, and uh, I mean, he just went through stories that had, I, I don't know where he came up with them, but anyway, he was telling all these different stories, but I asked him, I said, hey, listen, <clears throat> uh, and I, I was quite a while at the guy's door, and I said, just tell me, hey, listen, I want to ask you a spiritual question now. I said, if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, no. I said, hey, listen, the Bible tells you you can know for sure. He says, I don't believe the Bible. I said, Jesus Christ died for you so you go to heaven. He says, how do I know Jesus Christ was here 2,000 years ago? Now, church gentlemen, that guy is going to die and go to hell. Because there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's not going to a Baptist church. And I want to tell you why there needs to be a church in Topeka. Because there's a bunch of people like that Amen. that need somebody to tell them Jesus loved them and died for them. Amen. And I, I hope that you uh, are careful with your spouse and your children and other church members that you never get to a place that you discourage spirituality. You ought to encourage. And by the way, if somebody's more spiritual than you, let them alone. It won't last. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, right? Then let it alone. All right? Let them be what God wants them to be. All right? God didn't make you like him and him like you. Let let them be spiritual. All right, next thing, quickly. 
third one I see here is this. Um, Church, I don't have to read all the passages. I think they're on your lesson. But the third thing is this. God blesses the individual that chooses to do as well. Church, who are the two people that God specifically by name said they're going to be able to go into the promised land? All right. So Joshua and Caleb, right? All right. Did they go in the promised land? Who's the guy that said, I want that mountain? Caleb, Caleb did, right? Joshua was given a portion of land. Timnath Harris, if, if, if I remember correctly, God gave Joshua a piece of property in the promised land and gave Caleb a piece of property in the promised land. I want to tell you why. Because they were willing to do God's will. Now, here's what I get from that. Just because a group does not do God's will, God can still bless an individual for doing it. You know, there are some families where children grow up in a home where the mom and dad, they don't want to serve God, but, but the child is trying. Can I tell you something? God is going to bless that child. Amen. There's some of you that you come from families where the rest of your siblings, you're an adult, but there's the rest of your siblings, the rest of your family, maybe even your parents, you have your family of your own. You're the only one in church. Can I tell you something? God blesses the individual. That's what God does. It's not, it's not a matter of, well, you know, if the group doesn't do right, then we all lose out, Okay. I know that there's, I know that there's a ripple eff effect to people we're associated with, whether or not they're doing the will of God. But can I tell you, there's a specific effect for a person who wants to do right. So you don't have to get discouraged because your whole family's not doing right. In a child situation, they don't have to be discouraged if mom and dad's not doing right. All they have to do is they have to do right. And God says, okay, I'm going to bless you for that. You ought to be that person that God blesses. Amen. Next one. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Numbers chapter 14, uh, verses 10 and 11. Would you look at that? Numbers 14, verse 10 and 11. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they what? Believe me. God says, How long is it going to be before they finally just figure out they can trust me? So again, the next thing, number four, is unbelief is why people do not do God's will. That's what unbelief does. The second generation of Israelites got to experience what the first generation should have experienced, and for only one reason, they believed. All right? We ought to trust God. Psalm 78 talks about how they limited the Holy One of Israel. How do we limit God? We limit God when we simply just don't believe Him. We simply don't trust Him. Hey, listen, you ought to trust God with your finances. You ought to trust God with your children. You ought to trust God with your life. You ought to trust God with your job. You ought to say, okay, God knows what's best. I'm going to believe. I'm not going to try to, to try to doubt what he's trying to do in my life. That's how you miss God's will for your life, by the way, is unbelief. All right? Quickly, look at the next one here. All right? We're almost done. Numbers chapter 14, verse 28 through 39, I'm not going to read. I'm just going to tell you this. The consequences to a person not doing the will of God is simply this. The ten spies that went in and, and looked at the land, every one of them was killed with a plague. Those 20 and up would never go into the promised land and never get to experience that. That was the consequence. Those 19 and younger would wander. Now, they got to go into the promised land, but they had to wander for 40 years. That's a consequence, all right? Moses never got to go in. Aaron never really got to go in. Obviously, it's for other reasons, but you understand that the, the prolonging of going in, that really caused them not to go in also. There are consequences to not doing the will of God. Now, church family, I am so thankful. In fact, I'll, I'll point it out to you. Look what Moses said uh, to God. I think it's Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, look at verse number 17. Moses says to God, And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is longsuffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the, third, uh, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. You know, God is equitable in the sense that he is going to punish sin, but he's a merciful God. 
He's a merciful God. And you know, uh, you've heard me say this before, and I, again, I just want to say it again. When you've got skeletons in your closet, leave them there. Okay? You know, we've heard people say before when they give testimony, they talk about all the bad things they did in life, and thank God I'm saved. Okay? So, to a small degree, sometimes we almost glorify what we did instead of glorifying what God did to us. We don't have to talk about how bad we were in order to be able to show how good God is in our life. All right? You know, you're sitting here this morning, and there might be some of you this morning, there are things in your life you don't want anybody else to know about. Keep it that way. Keep it that way. Because you know why? If God forgave you, and he did, if God forgave you of every sin, then only you and God know about it. Everybody else doesn't need to know about it. And, you know, with that said, there's some people that, are, that have, if I can say, skeletons in their closet or things they wish would not have happened in their past. Now, listen to this. You limit yourself on what God wants to do in your life because all you do is you keep looking backward instead of looking forward. I can't change the past, but I sure can do something about the future. I, I, I can't change what I've done, but I can sure change what I'm doing. And what you need to get is the thing is, okay, yes, there's consequences, okay? You know, at our church... Um, I believe that, and I say our church and I believe because it's scriptural, but when it comes to the qualification of a pastor and qualification of a deacon, the Bible says that they have to be the husband of one wife, all righty? Now, with that said, that's pretty clear to me that you can't be divorced. If you're going to be the husband of one wife, that means if you're going to pastor a church, you can't have several wives. And I've had people say, well, that means one wife at a time. That's not what it means. Now, we can have a long discussion on this scripturally as far as what, that, what the Bible teaches, but it's not one life at a time. Uh, if the, again, if they pass away, then, I mean, as long as you didn't kill them, but as long, if they pass away, <laughs> that's one thing. But you cannot marry, get divorced, marry, get divorced, and think you can be a pastor. You, you have disqualified yourself for the ministry. All right? You can't do it. All right? But guess what? If I'm divorced, there's a whole lot of other things I can do except being a pastor and deacon. I don't have to sit back and think, well, I messed up. Guess I'm not going to do anything for Christ. That's hogwash. That is hogwash. I was talking to somebody this week. They called me from another state. And they were asking me about somebody that was in their church. And they were divorced. And, uh, but it was somebody that, was, that had gotten divorced after he got saved. And they said, should he be in the church? I said, absolutely. I said, absolutely. I said, do you have people that are in your church that were divorced before they got saved? Well, he said, yes. I said, well, kick them out too at the same time. I said, no, the, the church is a hospital. Amen. If people can't mess up in their life and come to a church, where are they going to go? Amen. That's what the church is about. The church is not to glorify or to uh, uh, magnify our past sin. I want to tell you if you want to magnify something, magnify the grace of God that you're, you are where you are. Magnify the, the mercy of God. He didn't give us what we deserve. Amen. You know, I to tell you some independent Baptists, and again, I, I, I shouldn't say just them, but I'm sure there's others. We got to be careful that we don't kick people when they're down. We got to lift them up. Amen. We got to help them up. Amen. We got to encourage them. Amen. Church family, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, we had years ago a person that in the church services that if a bus kid came and sat next to, on the same row with them, they would move. Oh, I got all over them. I said, I hope his mansion's right next to yours in heaven. <laughs> Stupid. Like we are somebody. Somebody needs to get, get the beam out of your own eye instead of trying to get the mode out of everybody else's eye. 
And listen, God placed this church here to help people. And the only way you're going to help people is to go where the sinners are. We're supposed to go out into the world and go onto the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And people need to be saved. And we as Christians need to glorify God with our lives. But we are not the judgment seat. That all belongs to God. You know what we're here to help? We're here to pray for one another. We're here to love one another. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to comfort one another. And when I look at the scripture here and I look at this passage here, they, there were consequences to sin, but those consequences did not limit the ones that were trying to do the will of God. It did not limit what God wanted to do in their life. They did go into the promised land and God did bless them. That's church, I'm like, God will bless you too. Alrighty? But we as God's people, be careful. Don't just be satisfied with God's permissive will. Make sure you try to do God's perfect will. Don't be discouraging to others that are doing God's will for their life. Encourage them for doing God's will for their life. If somebody's a better Christian than you, thank God that they're a better Christian than you. It's fine. They're going to influence people that you're never going to influence. All righty? My, my wife, in some areas, is a better Christian than me. And you know, as a man, you want to make sure you're top dog. Can I tell you something? You better be thankful if you've got a wife that's more spiritual than you. If she's got qualities of her life, she's your helpmate. She's the one helping you. You want her to be as spiritual as possible. You know why? It keeps you spiritually as possible. Amen. This 12 spies, so many lessons. I hope that one of those lessons you'll grab this morning. Hopefully it'll be a help to you. Let's go ahead and pray together.